0: This is Mercedes, and you're listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. It's Sunday. It's November 12th. And this is... Well, this is your Sunday sermon. Now, we are just one day after Veterans Day, and let me say to all of you who have served our country in one way, shape, or form, especially those in the military, present or past, thank you for the time that you have sacrificed to defend our wonderful nation. I know that we have a lot of problems and a lot of challenges. Most nations do. But I am grateful that you have served and served faithfully. And to all the families, spouses, and children who have stood alongside you, you're a veteran in kind, too and I appreciate you all. So a very happy and blessed Veterans Day to everyone. Now, today we're wrapping up our mini-sermon series called What Jesus Wants for You. I've really enjoyed this series. I hope you have too. In fact, if you've missed the first or second part, you can catch up right here on this media platform. Now, it has centered on the Jesus prayer in John 17. Today in part three, We're going to be looking at the final verses, verses 20 through 23, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But as you know, we always begin with a word of prayer. So won't you join me? Gracious Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we worship you. Lord, thank you for your amazing grace, your incredible love. Lord, thank you even for the discipline that you give us sometimes, because Lord, we need to be corrected. Thank you for the incredible sacrifice of your son, Jesus. Lord, we just love you, and we're looking forward to hearing from you today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen and amen. Now, do you like funny church signs? You ever seen that? There are churches out there that have some really cool slogans on their signage, really cool thing, make you laugh when you go by. Well, one of them recently I saw said, some questions can't be answered by Google, Sunday worship, 9 a.m. Amen to that. There was another that I saw that said, don't let worry kill you. Let the church help. Now, I know what they mean, but it really sounds funny, you know. And then there was another sign that I saw that said, you have one new friend request from Jesus, Accept, ignore. That is just brilliant. And finally, this one, I'm sure you've heard. It has the words on the church sign, CH, and then two blank spots, and then the letters CH. And then underneath that, it said, what's missing? And then underneath that, the letter U and the letter R, which happens to be the two missing letters of the word church. Isn't that cool? Well, I just enjoy those things. I hope you do too. As I pondered the pluses and minuses of publicity like that for the church, I came across this statement from a fellow pastor and wrote it down. I want to share it with you. He said, the best advertisement is a witness of oneness to the world because when we're unified, we display the personality, purposes, and power of God. In the final moments before his arrest, Jesus could have prayed for his own strength. He could have requested that the eleven support him. His intercession to the Father could have been filled with a desire to make the disciples better teachers or servants or givers or leaders or administrators. Instead, his prayer was dominated by one single thought. Do you know what it is? That his followers would have a witness of oneness to the world. Please open your Bible or Bible app now to John chapter 17. And as you do, here's an overview of what we've covered and what we're going to cover today in this series. Two weeks ago, in verses 1 through 5, we talked about the glory of a God-driven life. We found that Jesus prayed for himself to be glorified. We also discovered that if we can't do something for God's glory, then we just shouldn't be doing it. Last week, we talked about verses 6 through 19, and the title was The Secure and Sanctified Life. Jesus prays for the disciples to be protected. We learn that because we're secure, we can be satisfied with Christ, which should lead us to live a separated life, sanctified for his purposes, so that we can saturate this world with his word. And today in verses 20 to 23, we'll talk about the unity-centered life. And we're gonna find that Jesus prays for the church to be unified. On the eve of his excruciating death, he utters an appeal for unity. That tells me that we need supernatural strength to be united with fellow believers. If the early Christians struggled to maintain unity, and we do as well, it's obvious that we need God's help in this area, don't you think? The very fact that Jesus prayed for unity indicates that we cannot accomplish this on our own. Now go back with me in John 17 to verse 11b. It says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. In the original, this is even more forceful. The meaning is this, so that they may constantly be one. Notice that he ties this request for oneness to the type of relationship that he has with the Father. Just as Jesus and his Father are one in essence and purpose, so too his disciples share the same fundamental nature as brothers and sisters of the same Father. And we share a similar purpose with Jesus, and that is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Jesus knows he's about to leave his believers behind in a very tough world. He can foresee the upcoming persecution and every temptation they're going to face. He knows how the deceiver will work to divide his disciples, and so he prays for their protection by appealing to the power of God's name. Satan's strategy throughout church history has been to destroy unity within the body of Christ. If he can attack our oneness, then our power will be diffused and our message will be blurred or obliterated. Many of us are quick to divide over just about anything. As someone once said, to live above with those we love, oh, how that will be glory. To live below with those we know, now that's another story. Indeed. The Bible is filled with a focus on family togetherness. God's people are designed to fit as pieces of a puzzle in order to form a united picture of divine love. In a world defined by conflict, broken relationships, political division, dysfunctional families and fractured communities, such unity would indeed be a sign that God is at work because human effort alone can't make it happen. Here's a brief survey of some scripture passages that lift up the spiritual standard of a cohesive community of faith. First up, Judges chapter 20 verse 11. So all the Israelites were completely united and they gathered together to attack the town. Second Chronicles 30 verse 12. At the same time, God's hand was on the people in the land of Judah, giving them all one heart to obey the orders of the king and his officials who were following the word of the Lord. Psalm 133, 1. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. Jeremiah 32, verses 38 and 39. They will be my people and I will be their God and I will give them one heart and one purpose to worship me forever for their own good and for the good of all their descendants. Zephaniah 3, verse 9. Then I will purify the speech of all people so that everyone can worship the Lord together. Mark chapter 9 verse 50. Live in peace with each other. John chapter 10 verse 16. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. Romans 15 verses 5 and 6. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.10 I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And lastly, Philippians 2.2, 2. then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. How are we doing in our quest for unity within the community of faith? Are we serving shoulder to shoulder? Are we living together with singleness of heart today? Are we one in mind so that we're in agreement with fellow Christians? These are tough questions to answer, aren't they? Left to ourselves, we don't automatically drift toward unity. In fact, our default setting is disunity. History is littered with a lack of harmony among humans. The good news? The good news is that we're not the first group of believers to display dissonance. Even the disciples who spent three years with Jesus demonstrated more discord than accord. James and John caused envy and jealousy when they wanted to sit at the right and left hand of Jesus in his coming kingdom. Matthew was a tax collector who had sold out to Rome and Simon the Zealot hated IRS agents. On the night before Jesus selflessly gave his life, an argument arose among those who should have known better. I've seen how Satan causes conflict among Christians. The deceiver's number one mission is to divide us because he knows that, as Luke 11:17 says, a house divided cannot stand. I've watched as the evil one has destroyed disciples and attacked assemblies. I've prayed for protection and I've attempted to get Christians to reconcile with each other. Having said that, I've contributed to my share of conflict in churches and messed up ministry teams over the years as well. I've come to the conclusion that I must do whatever it takes to maintain unity within the church and make sure that I'm not the cause of unnecessary clashes between fellow Christ followers because Jesus prayed that his followers would have a witness of oneness to the world. The Puritan preacher Thomas Brooks was spot on when he wrote this, Discord and division become no Christian. For wolves to worry the lambs is no wonder. But for one lamb to worry another, this is unnatural and monstrous. Robert McShane once said, If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. I'd like you to close your eyes for the moment and picture yourself sitting with Jesus as he prays for you. Listen to him as he prays John 17 verses 20 to 23. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Isn't that amazing? It's just amazing to me that Jesus is praying for people who have not even been born yet. It reminds me of Psalm 22, verse 31, which says, His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born. They will hear about everything he has done. Beloved, this truth should be rocking all of us right now. We are trying to raise our sons and daughters and grandchildren to follow Christ wholeheartedly. That has generational impact. We should have a long range vision for living our faith out at home as stated in Psalm 78 verses five and six, which says, for he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. Now let's go back to John 17, where we see a gradual growth towards absolute unity in three consecutive verses. Starting with verse 21, Jesus prays that all of them may be one. Do you see that? Then look at verse 22, that they may be one as we are one. And in verse 23, May they be brought to complete unity. The word complete here derives from the root that conveys the idea of end or aim. Jesus is praying that our aim should be oneness. We know we've arrived when we've experienced unity with other believers. Now I see four assumptions about unity in today's passage. Let's unpack them. Here's number one. The parameters of oneness include all believers. Jesus just doesn't want us to get along with a few people we happen to like or even with people just in his church. But that all of them may be one, he says. His prayer is much deeper than us four or no more. True believers in Christ are one no matter what slogan is on the church sign. We're redeemed by the same blood and going to the same heaven. That means that we share a common unity or community with believers in the past, in the present, and in the future. And let me add three cautions at this point. Number one, abandon extreme separatism. Some believers refuse to acknowledge that there are true Christians in other churches. Some groups criticize and even label people just because they don't hold to the same outward standards as they do. Second, avoid sloppiness. The push for uniformity among churches should be avoided. There are doctrinal differences and biblical distinctions that must be maintained. I get that. Earlier in this same prayer, Jesus established that sanctification can only come about when it's based on the word of God when he prayed in verse 17, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth, Jesus said. Truth alone must define our alignments. Frankly, we're not all headed in the same direction and we don't serve the same God. Only those who are born again are really our brothers and sisters in the faith. It was Malcolm Muggeridge who once said about the World Council of Churches, They agreed almost on everything because they believed almost nothing. And the third warning, hold to unity but not uniformity. Let me explain that. It's possible to be diverse and yet not be divided. We're all distinct pieces of the puzzle and variety is valuable because we have different gifts, abilities, personalities, thoughts, and opinions. We're not called to be the same. We're called to be one. That means we can disagree without being disagreeable. We can have harmony even though we're not all alike. Don't expect everyone to be exactly like you and to think the way you think. It's impossible with a diverse church. Point number two I see is this the pattern for oneness is linked to the unity within the Trinity. In verse 11, Jesus prays that his disciples would experience the oneness that exists in his relationship with the Father. In verse 21, he says, May they also be in us. And then in verse 22, that they may be one as we are one. The unity that Christ wants us to have is so intimate, so personal, and so vital that it is patterned after and based on the relations that exist in the Godhead. It's a oneness, not only of faith, hope, and love, but of life itself. The third point is the purpose of oneness is to accelerate evangelism. Look at the last part of verse 21. It says, so that the world may believe. Notice that we're not just to enjoy unity for our own sake. Sure, it's fun to be on the same page with those around you, but one that should always accelerate evangelism. The most engaging witnessing is unity within the church. God's redemptive plan is that the world would believe that the way this is accomplished today is through the unified oneness of the body of Christ. When unity is fractured within the church, the bridge between believers and the world is effectively blown up. A disunited Christian community denies by its behavior the message that it proclaims. That's why Jesus prayed that his followers would have witness of oneness to the world. One who is seeking truth is attracted to the oneness and harmony that should be evident in the churches. When that unity is absent, they could smell it and will be turned off by it. I'm convinced that dissension and disunity have hindered more revivals than we can ever imagine. Lost people are not looking to be part of another organization that's battling over irrelevant issues. When a non-Christian looks at believers who are throwing verbal bombs at each other, they may say, well, if they can't even agree on the truth among themselves, how could they possibly teach me the truth? I came across this quote from Blaise Pascal this week, which said, make people wish the gospel were true and then show them that it is. May we take those words to heart, beloved. And number four, the practice of oneness puts God's reputation on display to the world. Verse 22 says that we have been given the glory. Do you see that? We've been given the glory that was given to Christ. The word glory represents the visible manifestation of all of God's attributes. Friends, when we are united, the world will stand up and take notice of God because they may see him glorified in us. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Oneness gives credence to our claims. Specifically, according to verse 23, the world will know two things. Number one, God's mission. He sent his Son to be Savior of the world. The world will not believe the Father sent the Son until we, you and I, demonstrate spiritual oneness. This is what verse 23a says. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me. And secondly, in the second half of verse 23, God's message. He loves people. People will be attracted to the love of God when they see it manifested in our lives and in our church. Verse 23b says, and have loved them even as you have loved me. I love that old Christian hymn that says, and they'll know we are Christians by our love. His mission and message are summed up in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. That's his message that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, that's the mission. That means when you and I violate true Christian unity, we are hindering the gospel and ruining God's reputation. His mission and his message get lost in the harsh sounds of discord. Did you know that Jesus' intercession was actually fulfilled in Acts chapter 4, verse 32? Listen to the extravagant oneness they experienced. All the believers were united in heart and mind, And they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. And this unity had an eternal impact on the lives of the lost because according to Acts 2.47, people were becoming Christians every day. It said, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I don't know if you remember, but back in 2010, the Ministry of Life Church developed a program called One Prayer. This was the stated purpose at the time. We pray to Jesus, asking him to answer our prayers. What if we became the answer to his? That's profound, is it not? In a Peanuts cartoon, Lucy demanded that Linus change the channel on the TV, threatening him with her fist if he wouldn't do it, but Linus is reluctant to do so. What makes you think you can walk right in here and take over, he said. Lucy holds up her fist and opens her hand. These five fingers, she said. Individually, they're nothing, but when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. Linus, now visibly shaken, asks, "'Which channel do you want?' Turning away, he looks at his own fingers and says, "'Why can't you guys get organized like that?' Before I list some action steps that you and I can take to accelerate and organize some unity, let me remind you that unity is received, not achieved. We don't have to earn it because it's been earned for us on the cross. You and I don't have to create it because Jesus already did that. He attained unity, You and I must maintain it. Since it's his heart that his followers have a witness of oneness to the world, let's be open to how he wants us to put this into practice. This prayer for unity has been answered throughout church history, but let's bring it closer to home by seeking the answer to this question. What can I personally do to become the answer to Jesus' prayer and foster unity within Word of Hope Christian Church or whatever church family you're a part of? That would be the question. What can I personally do to become the answer to Jesus' prayer? Let me give you six suggestions that will answer that question. First, be a grower. Some say that absence makes the heart grow fonder. While that might be true in human relationships, in our relationship with God, absence makes the heart wander. And when we wander, we often go to war with others. Are we growing in our walk with Christ? If you find yourself out of sync with someone, ask yourself some honest questions. Am I walking with Christ? Am I fully surrendered to Him right now? Unity will only come when I allow Christ to live through me. Second, be a peacemaker. Instead of judging, gossiping, or slandering others, search for specific ways you can be a peacemaker. Proverbs 6.19 says that the Lord finds detestable a man who stirs up dissension among believers. Stop being abrasive and start cutting some other people's slack. Watch your words. And when you hear someone skewering somebody else with their words, speak the truth in love and send him or her to the person instead. Are you willing to live out the truth of Ephesians 4.3? This verse doesn't allow us to be nonchalant about unity. It says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. What one thing can you do this week, beloved, to keep the unity of the spirit? In that relationship you're thinking about right now, have you made every effort or have you just sort of tried? Number three, be a forgiver. Some of you are filled with bitterness because you've refused to forgive someone for something they've said or done to you. It's time to repair the damage, whether it's in your home or in the house of God. Keep short accounts with people. Be like the young child who overheard reciting the prayer given to the disciples. And forgive us our trash passes as we forgive those who have passed trash against us. Are you passing trash around today, beloved? Get rid of it. Get rid of it before it starts to stink. If we don't forgive, Hebrews 12:15 gives us a warning. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Fourthly, be a lover. We're called by Christ to love one another. In John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I've loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Beloved, love is not an option. It's a command. And when we love, people will take notice and know that we are followers of the one who loves unconditionally. Is there anyone you do not love right now? Are you avoiding that? Giving the cold shoulder to that person? One pastor has spelled out three essential qualities for Christian love, mutual contact, mutual concern, and mutual contribution. Every great awakening, large or small, throughout the whole course of Christian history has invariably begun by a breaking down of barriers between Christians, first of all. Fifth, be a server. One of the best ways to have a unity-centered life is to be involved in serving. In Ephesians 4.12, we read that the responsibility of pastors and teachers is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. But it doesn't end there. As equipping and serving takes place, notice what happens in the next verse, verse 13. Until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son. Let me read those two together. The primary responsibility of pastors and teachers is to equip God's people to do his work and build up his church, the body of Christ, until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son. Isn't that cool? Here's the sixth thing. Be a prayer, P R A - E R. During this series, we've made some tools available to you. They've been in the comments section below the description of each of these messages. They're designed to be tools to help deepen your prayer life individually and family-wise and also as a church. And there's copies available, as I said, in the description of each of these sermons, below the description of the actual what the sermon's about. Now, I have something I'd like to do for you today, and that is another opportunity, and this will be included as well in the description of today's message. I'd like to pray a prayer for you that's based on Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. I hope that it will be a blessing to you. I give God all the credit, all the honor and glory for it. Here's what the prayer is. Dear Heavenly Father, you know that there are all kinds of battles all around me, and Satan's mission is to prevent me from following you. I'm going to choose today to be on your side of the battle. My desire today is to claim victory over Satan by putting on the whole armor of God so that I can stand firm against his schemes. Today, I put on the helmet of salvation, reminding me that I am in your family and on your side. Fill me with the reality that as a Christian, your Holy Spirit has taken up residence in my life, that my sins have been forgiven by your precious blood shed on the cross. Thank you that I have the assurance that I've become a citizen of your eternal kingdom that I have unimaginable inheritance in waiting for me in heaven. Thank you that you've given me an offensive piece of armor to fight the enemy, the sword of the spirit, the Bible, which will help me discern right from wrong when I'm attacked by Satan. Lord, I'm asking that your Holy Spirit give me an insatiable desire for your Word so that it becomes my lifeline. Please give me insight as I study your Word and the ability and wisdom to practice it and live it. As I prepare for today. I don't want to forget to arm myself with a belt of truth so I can distinguish between your truth and Satan's lies. Just as soldiers in the biblical days needed a belt to keep their loose garments from tripping them, I need your help to avoid getting tripped and falling on my face spiritually. Please help me to know your truth, to be honest and free from deceit, a person of integrity throughout the course of my day. Please give me wisdom, Lord, to make wise choices today. Lord, a got-to-have piece of armor today is the breastplate of righteousness. Jesus, please protect my heart and character from Satan's blows today. Help me act in obedience to your will in the face of opposition. Father, please make me more like your son, Jesus, more loving, more holy, patient, faithful, grateful, kind, merciful, compassionate, and so forth. Lord, I can't start this day either without the shield of faith. Just as the Roman soldiers of biblical days had a large shield that covered their entire body, I ask for your protection from my head to my feet. Lord, I put my confidence totally in you. I ask for your protection from the evil thoughts entering into my head today. Take away the desire for my feet to lead me where I shouldn't be. Protect my heart with your shield of faith as arrows of discouragement come my way in the forms of criticism, hardship, stress, and anxiety that are shot my way. Lord, as I face whatever the issue is, may my reliance in your faithfulness increase and help me to respond in obedience to your will. Lastly. As I get fully dressed for the day with your armor, I need the shoes of the gospel of peace. Thank you how you gave the visual of the importance of my gospel shoes. Just as a soldier's shoes in Paul's days had cleats on the bottom of them to allow him to move without slipping and sliding, I need your shoes to help me advance your kingdom. Please give me the courage and the right words to share the good news of Christ with others, to move forward into these situations with my confidence in you instead of retreating from them. May I love to tell the story of Jesus and his love. Become the cry of my heart. Get me ready today, Lord, to share the good news of Jesus with my lost family members and friends. Lord, now I'm ready to face the day with you by my side. In your precious name, I pray, Jesus. Amen and amen. The huge redwood trees in California are incredible. They're the largest living trees on the earth, in fact, and the tallest trees in the world, with some of them reaching over 350 feet high, living more than 2,000 years. You'd think the trees this large would have incredible root systems, reaching down hundreds of feet into the earth, but you know what, they don't. They actually have a very shallow root system. What keeps them standing through storms is that their roots are intertwined and interlocked with other redwoods. Tied together, they can withstand anything. Friends, do you see the picture? you and I are tied together as well. If you're willing to be an answer to Jesus' prayer, will you please take an opportunity today to declare that to someone? If you're with your family, then look at each other and declare today to each other. If you're with your church family today, or even if you're just by yourself, will you declare to the Lord today that you're willing to take a stand? We are his church And we are his signs or advertisements because as his followers, we have a witness of oneness to the world. Now, I'd like to end this sermon with a song, which the link will be included in the description for you today. It was performed and written by Twyla Paris. It's called Make Us One. It is clearly out of John 17. And I pray that it will be a blessing to you And as you sing it throughout this day and forward, I hope it will become something that will just lift you closer to Jesus as you engage him in all the things that you say, think, and do. What Jesus wants for you, beloved, is beautiful things, but most of all, he just wants your heart. The question is, have you given it to him? If not, why don't you give it to him today? Why don't you surrender your heart to Jesus today? He knocks at the door of your heart, Why not let him come in? And all God's people said, amen and amen. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.